Our Father and our God, we thank you for the privilege that we have to gather together on this day, the day called the Lord's Day, to worship you in truth and spirit. We know, Father, that you created us for this very purpose of worship. And we thank you, Father, that because of the work of Christ, we can worship you in truth and spirit knowing that our sins have been forgiven, that they were nailed to the cross, and that His life gives us the righteousness which causes us to be acceptable in Your sight. We thank You, Father, that we can come and we can daily confess our sins to You and know that if we confess them in the right manner, that You are faithful to forgive them and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We pray, Father, that if there's unconfessed sin in our life, even this day, that your Spirit would bring conviction so that we may repent and be cleansed, so that our worship is not hindered. We do pray, Father, that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear your truth, so that we might rightly not only know it, but respond in a manner that's pleasing to you. We know, Father, that unless your Spirit comes and teaches us, all is vain. So we pray, Father, for your Spirit to be in this place, to work among us, to open eyes, to unstop ears, so that we might see and hear. How we pray, Father, for the salvation of the lost, whether it be here or wherever the gospel is proclaimed this day, that many would be brought into your kingdom. We thank you, Father, that you continue to guide us and direct us as your children. And we pray, Father, that as we continue to look at this subject of prayer this morning, that you may give us greater insight of our need to be faithful in communing with the living God. To understand it is a marvelous and wonderful privilege that you have given us to come into your throne room boldly and that you told us that you hear our prayers and that you answer them according to your will. We pray as the disciples pray. Teach us to pray. Be with those unable to be with us this day. You know their reasons and needs. We pray that you would bring them back to us soon. And this we pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Take your Bibles and turn with me again to Matthew chapter 6, and we will pick up where we left off last week, reading there in verse 8 through 13. Matthew chapter 6, verse 8 8 through 13. Therefore, do not be like them. For your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Last week, we saw how Jesus rebuked the religious leaders for 
their prayer life. How they stood and prayed simply desiring the the praise of men. Now we see also, not only does he rebuke, but we also see that he teaches us how to rightly pray. And he gives us the Lord's Prayer, or we can call it the model prayer. Now, this morning I had intended to jump right into the prayer, as you notice in the bulletin, the title of the sermon, and I gave that to Chris Monday, knowing that they were going out of town. Uh, In my study, I decided to give an introduction to the Lord's Prayer. So this morning, I want to give an introduction, and then next week we will jump into the prayer. Now, this particular prayer, every one of us knows, is the most quoted prayer throughout the world. I mean, no other verse is quoted more than these verses. Some would say, well, John 3.16, it's not quoted as much as this. In some churches, every Sunday, this prayer is quoted. So this is the most quoted passage of Scripture that we have. And we see that Jesus continues to do what He does throughout the Sermon on the Mount. And what is that? He presents the false teaching, then He turns around and gives the correct teaching. He presents the false actions and then he turns around and gives the correct action. So we see that he's continuing to do that. Last week he rebuked the religious leaders for how they prayed. And we see now he begins to deal with how we ought to pray as Christians. So he does this throughout the sermon. Emphasizing that unless you have been changed by God's grace... A person has no real desire to obey the teachings of Jesus. Nor can he. If you don't have grace of God, you cannot obey God in a right manner. Nor can you please Him. And that's what the religious leaders were trying to do. They were trying to please God without grace. They had no grace in their life, and it's very obvious to us as you read the Gospels. Of course, the ultimate way that we know that they had no grace is what? They put Christ on the cross at the end of his ministry. So we know they had no grace. Even though they did religious things, they attended worship, they gave their alms, they prayed long prayers, they acted very spiritual, but they were not spiritual. They had not experienced grace. So therefore, they had no real spiritual desire to live for God. They had no real spiritual desire to worship God. And of course, they weren't going to listen to Jesus, who was simply trying to teach them the truth of God. Now, there's some that even sit here this morning that would fit into that same category. You're here only for show. Only because maybe that's what's expected of you to be here. In other words, you have no real desire to worship God. You have no real desire to know the true and living God or learn what His Word teaches about God and obey it. Preaching exposes sin. And preaching calls us to repent of our sin calls us to seek grace so that you will have a desire 
to know God, so that you will have a desire to worship God, so that you will have a desire to obey God and live for Him. Scripture calls us to walk in the Spirit, to pursue holiness, to be conformed to the image of the Son of God. And those things will not happen unless what? Grace is in your life. The Christian experiences grace and therefore begins to live for God and obey His Word and spends time in prayer. Without prayer, there is no spiritual growth. And this is one of the reasons prayer is essential. Let me emphasize that. Prayer is essential for us as Christians. Now, we see in Luke chapter 11... It says that he, Jesus, was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. I mean, think about this. As God, Jesus is prayed to. As man, he prayed And he had to learn to pray. He had to learn obedience. We see that in Scripture. I mean, from the earliest of age, I believe, Jesus began to pray. When he could put words together, he began to pray because he was taught by his parents to pray. And he prayed to his heavenly Father. And by the age of 12, he amazed the theologians at the temple with the knowledge that he had. And I think one of those knowledges was this aspect of prayer. And throughout the Gospels, we see that he prayed often. He prayed before his ministry began. Forty days, forty nights, he fasted and prayed, knowing the task that he had laid before him. He went into the mountains and he prayed. He sometimes prayed, as the Scripture tells us, all night. He prayed alone. He prayed at the transfiguration. He prayed in the garden. He prayed on the cross. And we see that Jesus gave himself to prayer. So children, who should teach us about prayer? The answer is Jesus. I mean, anytime you don't know the answer, say Jesus, and usually you're going to be pretty close. The answer is Jesus. He prayed all the time. He knew about prayer. So therefore, we come to this passage and Jesus is going to teach us how to pray. The disciples were impressed with his prayer. That's why we see there in Luke chapter 11 that they come and ask him, teach us to pray. Now, only a few of his prayers are recorded in the Bible. We have the Lord's Prayer here. We have his longest prayer, John chapter 17. He prayed in the garden. We don't have that entire prayer. We just have a few words of that prayer. We know he also prayed on the cross and a few other times. Matter of fact, the gospel mentions that he prayed 29 times. Now, we don't have those prayers. It just says, and he prayed. I went back and I looked and I found eight recorded prayers of Jesus. So we don't have many recorded prayers of him, but we know that he was one that prayed. And we see that the disciples wanted to pray like he prayed. And this is good. Our prayers should encourage others to pray. We, as I mentioned last week, 
must teach our children to pray. That's how they learn. They learn from your prayers. If your children can't pray, then you need to ask yourself, have I done a good job in teaching them how to pray? One of the reasons we are looking at prayers on Wednesday night there in the Valley of Vision is to help us to learn to pray. The Puritans knew how to pray. If you don't have the book, Valley of Vision, I'd encourage you to get it and read it. Pray those prayers. Learn to pray from the Puritans. Learn to pray from the prayers that are found in the Bible. We want read just a moment ago there in Nehemiah a wonderful prayer. Last week we read a wonderful prayer there in Solomon. And there's prayers throughout the Bible that are wonderful prayers that we need to pattern our prayers after. If you want to pray biblically, pray a biblical prayer. And you're praying biblically. Just apply those things to your own life. So we should want to pray in a manner that pleases God. And biblical prayers, guess what? Please God. And we know that we will get an answer to our prayers when we pray in a manner that's pleasing to God. Now John, we see, had taught his disciples to pray. It tells us there in Luke 11. One theologian said, Whereas the Jews... Pray, prayers were generally adoration, praise of God, doxology. John taught his disciples such prayer as were more filled up with petitions and requests, for it said of them that they did make prayers. So in other words, what he's saying, they were more personal. They were prayers of petition and request. A.W. Pink says, so ignorant are we, now that may offend some of you, but we're ignorant, folks. That's why we have the Scriptures, the Scriptures teach us. He says, so ignorant are we, and I'm including myself here, that we know not what we should pray as we ought. That's what the Scripture says. And therefore, in question to our often repeated requests, Lord, teach us to pray, He has graciously furnished instructions we so need, revealing the manner in which Christians should approach God, the order in which their requests should be presented, and the things they most need to ask for, and the adoration which is due to the one they are supplicating. So that's the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer teaches us these wonderful truths. So Jesus gives us these instructions here in Matthew chapter 6 as well as in Luke chapter 11. Even though he had those instructions earlier in Matthew chapter 6, we see here in Luke chapter 11 that they ask again, Lord, teach us to pray. Now no doubt they had not forgotten the earlier prayer that Jesus had given them, maybe they were desiring more instructions. Now, if that was the case, why did Jesus not give them more instructions? Jesus simply gave them practically the exact same prayer with a few changes in that prayer. Why? Well, the time had not arrived. The time, what time? Well, the time of Pentecost. Later they would discover that all their requests would be buried in these few words that are given both in Matthew 6 and Matthew 11. And when the Holy Spirit would be poured out there at Pentecost, 
they would have greater knowledge and they would be filled with the Spirit so that they might see that the model prayer was so much more than they realized at this particular point in their life. And I hope that's the case with you and me. I hope that we realize that the model prayer is so much more than just the words that we have here. That it expands so greatly into other areas of our life. That we can say the Lord's Prayer isn't only a formal prayer, but it's a model prayer that gives us clear direction in how to approach God and petition Him in a manner that is pleasing to Him. And that should be our ultimate goal, right? We should want to pray in a manner pleasing to God. Because if our prayers are not pleasing to God, He's not going to answer them, right? But we should want to pray in a manner pleasing to God. The few differences between Matthew chapter 6 and Luke chapter 11 reveals that we may use different words. We're not bound to these exact words, even though many quote them every single Sunday in the congregation. Christ gives us the liberty to use words that are appropriate and biblical as we're led by the Spirit. As we come to the Lord's Prayer, as we come to this model prayer, notice what He says there in verse 8. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask. Real prayer will lift up the soul and pour out the heart to God. That's what the religious leaders lacked. And that's what Jesus is pointing out. And Jesus says what? Do not believe like them. So Jesus isn't condemning the use of religious words. Or words are important. Especially in corporate prayer. For you're leading others in what you say as you come to the throne of God. I mean, that's why it's so important that we think about what we're going to pray for when we gather for corporate worship. Because we are leading others. Or even when we go into a small group, we need to think about what we're praying. We need to use our minds because it's, it's tempting for us to use very extravagant language, impressive language, impress, to try to impress others. And that's what God is forbidden. That's what Jesus is forbidding. I can, I can remember years ago when I was bivocational and I was doing my remodeling work and I worked with uh, another group of guys and, and we would have our prayer time in the morning. And I remember the first time we gathered for prayer and we're praying and then we come to this one guy and I began to hear all this gibberish. And it, it bothered me. What in the world's going on? You know, and I said, I'm thinking to myself, I said, I guess this is what you call speaking in tongues. It made no sense. It was confusing. It interrupted our prayer time. I mean, first of all, if a person still believes that those gifts do exist, Paul says, if you don't have an interpreter, keep your mouth shut. Well, I don't think anybody in there had an interpreter, and I had no idea what the guy was saying. It disrupted our prayer time. 
And we see that the same thing happened in the New Testament church. There were those who were disrupting the worship service and Paul had some strong words for them. But yet we see that the Pharisees did the same thing in trying to be impressive with their long prayers, seeking to receive praise from men. This is what Jesus condemned. For even our prayers must be God-centered, not man-centered. Jesus doesn't condemn long prayers because we see that Jesus himself prayed all night. Jesus had a very long prayer there in John chapter 17. But these prayers were done in secret, alone with God, in his closet. Solomon's prayer there in 2 Chronicles is a long prayer. And there are times that we need to have long prayers. But promoting a prayer as if it is more pleasing and prevailing to God is false. That's not the case. Some of the short prayers that have been prayed have been the most moving prayers ever prayed. And Jesus makes it clear that we cannot inform God. He says there, for your father knows the things you have need of before you ask. Now some, of course, foolishly say, well, if God knows everything and God knows my prayer, then why do I even need to pray? You know, they'll say the same thing. Well, if God's going to save uh, the elect, then, then why even go out and evangelize? Well, those are foolish questions. The simple answer to that, first of all, is what? God has commanded us to pray. God has commanded us to obey. So we must obey God in these two matters. Even though God knows all things, God has told us to pray and He desires for us to pray. So we must pray. We must realize that it's a wonderful privilege to pray. That God would have us to come to Him and pray. Because first of all, He is our Father. He is our Father by creation, by covenant. And therefore, our addresses to Him should be easy, natural, and genuine. Just like a child coming to a loving father. Knowing that if he has a need... His Father who loves him will seek to meet those needs. I've, I've shared this story before. President Lincoln, his, his son Todd, had free reign of the White House. I mean, even though they had Secret Service guys and all the guards around the White House, and you and I could never have gone into the White House, he went around the White House because that was his home. He went wherever he wanted to. And one day he walked in, he walked right down the hall, and his dad was in a very uh, important meeting with other cabinet members, and he walks right into that meeting. And he walks right up to his dad, and he crawls up in dad, and he has a toy, and he said, Dad, fix it. See, he didn't care about these other people. All he cared about is I've got a need, and I know that my dad will fix this need for me. Take care of this for me. And that's the same way with God. God who created the universe, God who has made all things, God that knows all things, allows us to come and sit in His lap and say, God, fix whatever's bothering me, whatever's going on in my life. Lord, I know You can fix it. And I know that You will. 
And I thank you for allowing me to come into your presence boldly, the scripture says, and present our petitions knowing that he cares for us and loves us and that he will fix it. So therefore, we must see that it's a privilege that the Father has given us and we can come to him as his children. Let us come to God with that kind of disposition with love and reverence and dependence upon Him. Sometimes we don't even have any words to say, as as Paul tells us there in, in Romans 8. Sometimes we just come and we just groan. And we we cry out, God knows how we feel. So therefore we cry out, as Paul says, Abba, Father. Yes, God knows our every need and our every want. And He knows them even better than you know them. And I know them. He knows what you need. And He knows what's best for you. And He often will give you something before you even ask. That reveals that He is a loving God. And He so loves us that there are times that He will withhold from you what you ask because He knows that if He was to give you that which you asked for, that it would do damage to your life. So therefore, He withholds that from you. That's how loving He is, just like an earthly father. I mean, an earthly father is not going to give a 10-year-old a brand new car and say, here's the keys, go drive it. No, that'd be foolish. And the same way God He knows that it would be foolish to give you certain things that you ask for. Therefore, we must always submit to whatever His will is for us. I mean, think of Paul. Paul prayed three times for whatever that thorn was in his flesh for it to be removed. Did God remove it? We know the answer is no. But God said what? And Paul said it. My grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient for His children. So there will be times we don't understand why. But we must submit knowing that God always, did you hear what I said? Always does what is best for His children. And we must grasp that. Matthew Henry said, We pray unto God. For the purpose of honoring God, acknowledging Him to be the knower of our heart and the giver of all mercies. Moreover, prayer is a means for us rightly receiving and improving the gifts of heaven, being an indispensable preparation of our soul. And we need to see that. Prayer as that is something that prepares our soul. Not only here on earth, but also prepares us for heaven. Now to help His disciples pray, Jesus gives this model prayer. Which tells us the manner, the method, and even proper content of our prayer. And we need to keep that in mind. That in this prayer is the manner the method, and the proper content. Now the word therefore connects the prayer to what Jesus has already taught before. 
And Jesus reveals how important prayer is. He's not only told them what not to do, but now He tells them what they must do in giving this model prayer to them so that they would not follow the widespread error of the Pharisees. They already, had already been following their errors. Now Jesus is correcting their error and He's saying, don't follow them anymore. Follow what I'm telling you. As I already mentioned, this prayer is short and it's simple. Simple enough that a child is able to understand these words. Not one word is wasted. As one writer said, this delightful prayer is short, devout, and full of meaning. Now we learn that our conversation with God should be precise and simple. Such can be said with very few words. If our prayers flow from a mind that is filled with the knowledge of Scripture and our hearts full of the Spirit, we will pray right. And this prayer is only for believers. Now next week we're going to be looking at this. Only for those who can call God Father. Yes, this prayer is quoted by many in this world. But it's only for those who know God as their Father, who have been born again, who are children of God. I can remember years ago when I attempted to play football. We would gather on the football field before the game, circle up, and I think it still even happened in some schools, and pray the Lord's Prayer. Now, most of those guys didn't know the Lord no more than they knew whatever. But yet they prayed that prayer. And it's the same today. Everywhere, when people don't know what to do as far as they want to approach God, they'll pray this prayer. But they don't know the God that they pray to. Jesus Himself said in John chapter 6 that those who do not believe in Him are what? Children of God? Nope. Children of the devil. Now, of course, that's one reason why the Pharisees put him on the cross. Jesus was all the time saying those kind of things to the Pharisees. And they just got more angry and more angry and more angry until one day they nailed him to the cross. Now, in a sense, we know that God is the Father of all because He's created all. But He is not the spiritual Father of all mankind. He's only the spiritual Father of those who have been born again. And only those who have been born again are called upon to pray this particular prayer. That's what the whole Sermon on the Mount is, continues to drive home to us, that you must be born again to do these things that He's speaking of here in the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore... The idea that the Lord's Prayer is a holistic prayer, an ecumenical prayer, or non-Christian prayer because the prayer doesn't end in Jesus' name is erroneous. I mean, the sacrificial work of Christ enables us to call God our Father. It's presupposed that this very first name, this very first word of the prayer reveals this to us. And I must emphasize that Jesus' active and passive obedience makes it possible for us to pray. 
Now, the extent and the organization of this prayer is simply amazing. It consists of the invocation, six petitions, and a conclusion. Now, both the invocation and the conclusion exalt and glorify God. And that's what our prayers should do, exalt and glorify God. If our prayers don't exalt and glorify God, then we better learn to pray. Our prayers must begin and end with the exaltation of God. Although prayer is a time of expressing the needs that we have before God, it first and foremost must focus upon God. Focus upon God more so than anything else. Remember what I said last week. That's why we need to know His attributes. If you didn't pick up that book last week, I noticed there's still a stack of them in the book room back there. The attributes of God. You need to understand the attributes of God. If you don't understand the attributes of God, pick that book up today and read it and understand the attributes of God so that it will help you in your prayer life. Now notice first, there's three petitions that deal with Yahweh. His name, His kingdom, and His will there in Verse 9 and 10. And then we see in verse second thing, it deals with three necessities. The necessity of bread, a physical necessity. Necessity of debt or sin, our spiritual need. And then enemy, both spiritual and physical. Now like the Ten Commandments, this prayer focuses our attention upon God before our personal needs. First, God's concern as far as us giving Him priority. Your name, your kingdom, your will. Not my name, not my kingdom, not my will, but your name, your kingdom, your will. Second, our own needs. And they are reduced to second place. And we must keep them there. They are to be committed to Him. Give us, forgive us, and deliver us. Now truly understanding this prayer should dispel self-centeredness. Self-esteem. It should dispel the prosperity gospel. Now, I've seen the prosperity gospel not only here in America, but it's even more so in Africa. You know that yourself, being in Af- from Africa. I mean, it's everywhere in Africa. Because they want to be rich. Matter of fact, Dumi's home church split at the very beginning because the pastor changed his mind and became a prosperity gospel church. And I thank God that he sent Pastor Isaac who used to be in our church for those that do not know it. And God has used him to bring about reformation in that church. And that church has become a strong church. But the prosperity gospel that people believe, this is not promoting that. This is not promoting the God exists to meet my needs attitude. No, this prayer deals with God's glory. And He deals with the whole world as well as with our own personal life. And it is indeed the perfect model prayer for all of us to pray. Now, next notice the introduction that Jesus says. He says, in this manner, therefore, pray. So this indicates 
that this prayer is a model prayer that we are to follow, that we are to use as a pattern, not set forth only as a form, but we are to follow it. Now, the verb pray is a present imperative. Now, I know some of you say, well, what in the world are you talking about? Well, it indicates that when we pray, this model prayer should be our guideline, our structure for our prayers, indicating that we do not simply rush immediately into the presence of God mindlessly. No, we come with contemplation. And, you know, when we come to our worship service, this is primarily talking about public prayer. And when we come, if you know that you're praying, and I think our men do, you put thought into your prayer. You may even have a note. There's nothing wrong with looking down, having notes to keep your mind focused upon what you want to pray for, or even an outline, so that your prayers have this particular goal in pleasing God and following His pattern. Now, of course, if we follow this pattern daily, it, it, it becomes natural. I mean, if you do it all the time, then you don't have to have notes. You don't have to have an outline. It becomes very natural and is pleasing God, although we can never exceed the perfect prayer that is here in Scripture. But we are to expand it. Now, expanding it according to our own spiritual needs and the unique situation that we may be in. Now, there are some great advantages in in following the example that Christ gave here. First, if we model our prayer after His prayer, we will avoid error in the way we pray. If we are careful to follow Jesus' inspired example, it will be difficult to make a mistake, right? If you're following His example, you're not going to make a mistake. Second, another great advantage is that it gives us a proper priority and a balance in our prayer. Most of the time, our prayers focus on what? Physical needs. I meet with pastors once a month. And pastors can be just as bad as church members. When it comes to prayer time... Most of the things that are mentioned are physical needs. Maybe 10%, 15% are spiritual needs. And those prayers are out of balance. I mean, what's more important? Now to us, sometimes we'd say, well, physical. Man, I'm in pain. I need some relief. But is that the most important thing for us? No, spiritually, we must understand that we need God to enable us. Most prayers today are lopsided, man-centered. Even many evangelicals speak and pray as if God exists to be their servant instead of the other way around. That we are the master and God is the one that must obey us. How ridiculous that is. Now, this model prayer teaches us that Christian prayer is not simply a list of needs and desires that we all have. Biblical prayer is much broader than ourselves, for it takes into uh, 
mind God's character, God's attributes, and His overall arching plan of redemption of the world, His will, not our will. And then thirdly, following Jesus' model prayer will make our prayer more effectual. It says in John, 1 John 5, 14, If we ask anything according to His will, and that's the important part of that verse, according to His will, He hears us, indicating that He hears us and He will answer us. Obviously, the best way to pray according to His will is to follow His pattern that He's given us. And this prayer can be used as a set prayer, both publicly and privately, as revealed in Luke 11. Now, the earliest post-apostolic church directory of public work is the Dikaka, and which is called the teaching of the Twelve Apostles, in that the first commandment is to say to Christians, you shall recite the Lord's Prayer three times every day. Now, I don't know of anybody, I guess a good faithful Jew, well, no, this is for Christians, who recites the Lord's Prayer three times a day. Calvin, matter of fact, uh, did not agree with it, but yet he did use rather lengthy phrases from the Lord's Prayer in his communion service. But yet I don't see any problem with citing the Lord's Prayer three times a day. I just don't think many people do that. But again, the main thing is as we study this prayer, we must remind ourselves of the importance of not it simply being some formal prayer, but of the importance of it being a personal prayer. That as a result of the means of grace that is given to us in our prayer life. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, prayer is beyond question the highest activity of the human soul. Man is at his highest and greatest when he is upon his knees, when he comes face to face with God. Man was created in the garden, put in the garden to walk and talk with God. Of course, due to the fall, that was interrupted. But yet Jesus came to redeem fallen man, to restore that sweet communion that God had with man. Therefore, why would we neglect it? Tertullian, one of the early Christian theologians said, Christians pray with hands spread out. Because they are innocent. Now when he says they're innocent, that means they're in Christ. With heads uncovered, because they are not ashamed. Finally, without a prompter, because we pray from the heart. When a Christian truly prays and speaks to God, he should see it as a foretaste of heaven. Church history reveals that the greatest saints spent much time in prayer. John Wesley, which I don't agree with him on some things, and I don't fully agree with him, but he said, if you haven't spent five hours of prayer a day, then you really haven't prayed. Well, 
I guess I haven't really prayed because I don't spend five hours a day in prayer, folks. Now, I do pray without ceasing, as Paul tells us. So I guess if you included that, then I could say I pray at least 16 hours a day. But yet we can become, like the Pharisees, too legalistic. But we must see it as a foretaste of heaven as we look to be with God and look upon the face of Christ. Pray without ceasing. Prayer is difficult. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it comes natural. I'm saying it's something you have to work at. And many Christians do not know how to pray. So that's why Jesus is saying here, here's how you pray. Pray like this, our Father which art in heaven. So Jesus doesn't leave us to our own ignorance. But He clearly instructs us in this model prayer Here is how to pray. Pray like this, is what he's saying. If you truly desire communion with the living Father, pray like this. Let me close with a few quotes concerning prayer. Martin Lloyd-Jones, When a man is speaking to God, he is at his very apex It is the highest activity of the human soul and therefore is at the same time the ultimate test of a man's true spiritual condition. There is nothing that tells the truth about us as Christians so much as our prayer life. Now think about that. Think about what Martin Lloyd-Jones says there. What he is more or less saying is that If you want a barometer where you are spiritually, look at what? Look at your prayer life. He goes on and he says, You will find that the outstanding characteristic of all the most godly people that the world has ever known has been that they have not spent only much time in private prayer, but have also delighted in it. We cannot read the life of any saint without finding that that has been true of him. The most saintly person, the more time such a person spends in conversation with God, thus it is vital and all-important matter. And surely there is a greater need for guidance at this point than in any other. Again, he's saying that if you want to be, as David said, a man after God's own heart, what? Private prayer. A.W. Pink says, Here we are taught both the method, manner, and how to pray, And the matter in which to pray, Christ knew both our need and the Father's good will toward us. Therefore, has He graciously supplied us with a simple but sufficient directory. Every aspect of prayer is included in it. Adoration in its open clause. Thanksgiving at the close. Confession of sin is implied. Its seven petitions, a number of completion, is the outline furnished to us. 
It is virtually an essence of the Psalms and a most excellent summary of all prayer. Every clause in it is taken from the Old Testament, denoting that our prayers cannot be acceptable unless they are scriptural. I want to close with this question. I began looking at chapter 6, beginning with verse 5, speaking on prayer last Sunday morning. How did that sermon affect you? Have you prayed more as a result of hearing the sermon last week? Has your prayers been more biblical and fervent? Has it affected your life? Now, I can't make you pray more. I can't make your prayers be more factual, more biblical. Only the Spirit of God can do that. Has the Spirit of God worked in your life to convict you as well as me of our need to pray more? I pray that as we study the Lord's Prayer, that if these things are not occurring in our life, that the Holy Spirit will stir us to be more faithful in these things. That the Holy Spirit will stir us to make a new commitment to say that I will spend more time in prayer. But as I mentioned earlier, if you don't have a desire to pray, you have a greater problem. You need to go to God in repentance and cry out to Him for His salvation. For His children, pray. Let us pray. Father, as we think upon what we have heard this morning, we pray that your Spirit would take these truths and drive them into our hearts so that we might respond in a manner that is pleasing to you. For we know left to ourself, we will walk out of this building no different than we were when we walked into it. So we cry out, Father, that your Spirit would do that which only He can, of bringing about conviction, repentance, faith, and commitment. Father, we know that we must be a praying people if we have any hope of an awakening taking place in our day. Stir our hearts. Teach us to pray so that we glorify your name. And this we pray in Christ's name and for his sake.